Alexa, play that Amazon ads podcast. Which one would you like to hear? The best one. Okay, now playing that Amazon ads podcast. These gentlemen are completely changing the game. After listening to that Amazon ads podcast, my ads are finally profitable. I also heard they're pretty cute. Yo, 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 everybody. Welcome back to that Amazon ads podcast, your go-to resource for everything Amazon ads from sponsored products and brands to sponsor display and DSP. We cover it all with in-depth strategies, tactical insights to help you grow your Amazon sales. Steven, how are you today? Doing well, Andrew. Nailed the execution on that intro. And today we get to talk about the latter part of that, the, the DSP side of that intro. And we are joined here by a special guest, Mr. Sam Lee, the CEO of DLVRD Media. Sam, how are you doing? Doing fantastic. That's funny. That's the most common one that I hear is breaking it out like an acronym. Just delivered. It's it's so oh, much is simpler it? than it's made out to My me. bad. My <laughs> bad. Well, okay, for those people will see when, when we write it in the show notes, it's it's delivered, all caps, no vowels. So I thought it was an acronym. It looks like an acronym. It, that didn't even hit me for so long. Yeah. That, that happened. It's, it's good styling though. I'd say. Yeah, it's very, yeah. Uh, very techie. Yeah, very cool. Well, cool guys. I mean, I guess a little bit about a background about me then. So um, Delivered was incepted probably, God, like three years ago. I actually wasn't one of the original co-founders of Delivered, but over the past, God, three years and some change, I've been heavily uh, specializing in Amazon DSP. I've been in the broader Amazon space for about six. Um, I started off, I built out the Amazon DSP team um, at Thrasio, uh, myself and one, one other employee over there. And really got to know it inside and out, despite there being pretty much zero literature out there about it at the time. Um, through that time, we built out a team and I started out a consulting business where I would basically step into various agencies and help them build out their Amazon DSP strategy, largely because a lot of agencies would take on large contracts and then realize they didn't actually really know how to do it. Um, so I started my consulting business based on that. One of my consulting clients was actually Delivered Media who had gone about it the right way. They brought me in to help and then started offering Amazon DSP. Um, got to know the team really well. And then I came on as their head of growth in Amazon DSP, followed by CEO as of January this year. So we're a pretty lean and mean team, about 10 people all in the US, and we really help with all things Amazon. So from organic to PPC to obviously DSP. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. Um, yeah, great backstory. Sounds like we kind of have similar similar backgrounds, similar amount of time in the space and stuff. And um, you're bringing a different flavor to the podcast that we haven't really touched on too much. Um, talking a little bit more about DSP. Um, we've been the PPC guys uh, mostly and, and focus on, on the PPC side of Amazon. Uh, so it'll be good to kind of talk about DSP and uh, give everybody an intro into that realm of things. So Sam, to start out, maybe just talk to us a little bit about DSP, your experience with it, and maybe what are some of the things that you see most advertisers getting wrong when it comes to DSP and maybe some things that, and some tips and tricks of, of things they could look for to better optimize their structure or whatever it is within DSP that you normally see as, as room for growth for most advertisers. Yeah, totally. I mean, the thing with DSP, I mean, there are a couple of things. I mean, for one, 
there's a, there are a lot of misconceptions surrounding it, largely because of how it was framed out of the gate by Amazon. And I think that that sort of framework ultimately trickled into agencies and also individual brands who are running it either by themselves or through Amazon. So when DSP launched and, and also now really, there was a pretty large minimum ad spend in order to access it. So either if you wanted to have Amazon run it for you, you had to spend $50,000 a month. If you wanted access to your own DSP seat, God, this one's this one is such a moving target. I've had brands quoted at two million a year. I've heard Amazon say thirty thousand a month, whatever it is. There are relatively lofty minimum ad spend requirements, and as such, it is either scare brands away from trying it because they're not ready to commit that type of money, or it's made agencies and brands alike have these minimum ad spend requirements that really are unnecessary and ultimately aren't always in the best interest for a given brand. So I've seen a lot of agencies will have a $10,000, $20,000 minimum ad spend to launch DSP, which for a lot of brands isn't a ton of money, but for a lot of smaller brands is way too much to start. And then they see poor performance because they're spending too much money. And then they think that the platform doesn't work when in reality, they were just probably throwing too much money and largely the upper funnel. Another thing I think is that it's kind of, there's kind of an, a paralysis that comes with the amount of options that are available in the DSP. So for one, custom audiences, which is 95% of what I use the DSP for, you're essentially able to create audiences based on how people browse and purchase on Amazon on various time windows and then serve them ads for your product based on those windows. So you can use any ASIN on Amazon to create these audiences. You can create look back windows from anywhere from one or two days all the way up to 90 or 365 days, depending on the type of audience. And beyond that, there are God, over 10,000 pre-created audiences that already lived within the DSP that you can test. And that's everything from in-market segments that shows recent browsing behavior to lifestyle segments that shows more consistent types of behavior from users over time to basic demographic targeting, which is all super upper funnel. So there are a ton of options and 99.9% of them aren't going to be that effective for any given brand. So it's just a matter of figuring out the strategy that works for any given brand, not getting too aggressive and running too much upper funnel stuff out of the gate, or if you do, having expectations set correctly. And really, because there are so many options, the really important piece is customizing it for any given brand. The most common things I would say that I see are either Spending more than necessary, like you could spend five, you can spend 50% of what you're already spending and probably get the same amount of sales for brands that have that sort of KPI. Um, spending too much in the upper funnel that for things that are really aren't moving the needle for a brand at all, um, or generally just, I see a lot of mistakes with the way that audiences are structured on the back end because it, it can be pretty finicky in the sense that there are both positive and negative audiences that are and or exclusions, things like that when you're setting up targeting in the DSP. And one mistake can definitely can actually lead you to target exactly the opposite of who you want to target. So that all sounds really complicated, but it gets a lot easier when you break it down into bite-sized pieces. So I think that that begs a question, uh, Sam, because I think you made a great uh, I think you're, you're right on the money when you're talking about how this certainly isn't a good fit for a lot of people. Yeah. And that's where a lot of people have negative experiences with DSP and say, oh, it doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, no, you just weren't ready for it yet. Your brain wasn't ready for it yet. So 
what I think a lot of people would like to know is kind of what is the ideal brand or ideal advertiser situation in which DSP becomes kind of the next best strategy for you to pursue? Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, I do think DSP can be a good fit for many advertisers. It's just that the targeting strategy you're using, there's no one size fits all for that. That being said, there are a couple of things that I look forward to see if brands even are going to qualify for DSP. For one, you need to have a relatively well built out PPC strategy. Um, if you haven't really dialed in PPC and maximized what you're able to spend there effectively, then you're not ready for DSP yet. And really the right time to start using it is when you start to see some sort of a tail off in performance with incremental PPC spend, then it's good. It can be good to test DSP as a next lever. I usually like to recommend the brand spend 20 to 25% as much as they do on PPC on DSP. Um, PPC should always be the lion's share of your budget. But when you start to see performance taper off, DSP is an awesome next lever. The other thing is I won't run DSP for brands that have sub 100 reviews on their top product. Um, review count is incredibly important and review quality. So you want to have four and a half to five stars. Obviously, four stars is solid. Three and a half, I usually don't run a product that has three and a half stars purely because that's always going to be a conversion rate issue for any product if you have lower review count or quality. But in DSP specifically, you're charged on a CPM basis. So in the PPC world where a low review count might, somebody just might not click on your ad if there aren't enough reviews, which you don't pay for. In the DSP, you're going to get charged regardless. So things like right. click-through rates and how attractive the product looks can make or break you. I mean, it can actually run more efficiently than PPC if you have the right targeting strategy and the right product. But nine times out of 10... Um, if you don't have the right fit for the DSP, it's just not going to work. And a lot of those risks are mitigated on the PPC side, at least somewhat. Um, those are probably the two main ones. I think that testing out sponsored display and seeing how that performs for you can be a good baby step into it. I think that if you do well in sponsored display, you have a great chance of doing well in DSP because essentially it's just a souped up version of sponsored display. So for brands that are unsure if DSP is going to be a good fit, looking to sponsor display, as long as it's run correctly, can be a good indicator of how you're going to do. I think those are probably probably the three main things that I look for. It's it's really just, it's, it's whether a brand's ready or not for it. And there are other qualifications that will basically determine what sort of targeting strategy you use in the DSP, like a cheaper product of you know, $15, $20 versus a more premium price product of over $100 should have completely different targeting strategies. And if you create a really uniform strategy across brands and products, it's never going to be successful. Yeah. So fully tap kind of the, the potential with PPC because, you know, would you agree with this assessment that search advertising by nature of what it is, is lower funnel than display advertising? Yeah, totally. I think that it goes basically branded search obviously is going to be the bottom of the funnel and yeah. non-branded search, at least somebody, I mean, somebody is searching for your product line in real time. I'd say that retargeting may be considered lower funnel than non-branded search, but mm -hmm. to me it goes branded search, retargeting, non-branded search, mid-funnel DSP. Yeah. 
that would be like a, I think a really cool graphic to have that maybe we can make sometime, but cause yeah, DSP has its own funnel where there's like, there is a bottom of funnel section of display advertising right. and there is a top of funnel section of uh, search advertising, but both these funnels like are like slightly, yeah. they're offset a little bit. Yeah, yeah exactly. So there's, so, there's definitely, you know, they, they kind of overlap, but yeah, hundred percent. And there's the brand loyalty component of DSP, which also can be very bottom funnel. But if we were going to just summarize it as to which one's closer to the dollar, PPC is largely lower funnel than DSP, but in an yeah. ideal world, they ultimately work together. I mean, PPC does fuel DSP a lot of the time and DSP isn't as much at the mercy of query volume the same way the PPC is, but right. the DSP is best used as a tool to grow. And you can absolutely run it efficiently. And I prefer working with brands who at least have sales as some form of a KPI. But in general, it's it's best used as a tool for brand or for brand growth in general. In terms of efficiency, um, what can people kind of expect as like benchmarks for for ROAS or you know returns that you're seeing on DSP? I mean, I know it can vary by tactic. Whether you're talking retargeting or prospecting, you're going to see wildly yeah. different efficiencies there. Um, but just like as benchmarks, I know people are always asking benchmarks, benchmarks for stuff. So yeah. uh, we never get any answers from Amazon reps, and so it might be good to ask somebody who's got a lot of DSP experience that could be helpful for somebody kind of get thinking about getting started with DSP? Yeah, it, it's obviously tough, right? And I mean, you hit the nail on the head with it's going to be dependent on your targeting. It's going to be dependent on your product. It's going to be dependent on the overall category. That being said, I mean, I, know, I mean, another big portion of it as well is how much are you spending? Um, the more that you spend, typically you see the return on ad spend get lower just as a general rule, in part because the DSP optimizes with every dollar to a certain KPI. So incremental ad spend usually starts to move further away from those folks that it deems to be the closest to the dollars. So that's kind of how it works. But I don't see a reason why, unless a brand is really, really focused on mid to upper funnel, you shouldn't get at least a couple dollars back for every dollar. I mean, we have some brands that spend a really insane amount that are pacing closer to a two to three in the DSP. We have some brands who see a 10 plus ROAS because they spend $5,000 a month and it's a very lower funnel and it's super profitable for them. And that's great. But I think it's fair to expect a couple dollars back for every dollar that you spend, unless you're purely going for an awareness play. But I think that I like to work with brands on for one, look at your margins, figure out what return ad spend would be profitable at a glance for your brand. And the other thing is taking into consideration how it fuels things like PPC and SEO. Like when you were launching more upper funnel things in the DSP, are you seeing an increase in branded queries? Or are you seeing an SEO boost because you're driving additional traffic to these pages and additional sales, ideally? So you have to look at it holistically. And I give ROAS estimates typically to any given brand if they express interest in DSP. It's really hard to quantify it as a platform. But I would say, typically speaking, if what I would consider to be successful in the DSP is at least, you know, two, three, four row ads, I think is something yeah. to be expected. Otherwise it may not, might not be the best place to spend your money. Now this is certainly a bit more, uh, you know, benchmarks are hard enough. And then when we get more granular, those benchmarks are even <laughs> more difficult to uh, determine. But, but I'm, I'm curious if we were to break down this DSP funnel 
let's just say there's, you know, you got awareness, consideration, conversion, and we'll say awareness is, I mean, that can, that can really vary, but yeah. let's say your goal with awareness in this case is to maximize impressions, not so much clicks is, is just maximize impressions to like, let people know about the brand. And then that moves down to awareness where now you're trying, or sorry, consideration next, where now you're trying to maximize click traffic and people visiting yep. your, your uh, product pages. And then the final one conversion would be, uh, retargeting people who've viewed but did not purchase and we'll exclude kind of you know brand loyalty and all that kind of stuff even though that that's technically part of that but you know if we're focusing more on capturing those new audiences and taking those three stages of the funnel how would you what would kind of your personal i guess like expected roas be at each of those steps you know kind of moving moving its way down what what kind of a roas would someone expect and i guess the most you know average brand let's just say they're spending you know 20, 30 K a month on this. And they have really good products, really good reviews. Um, let's say on, on the PPC side of things, they're typically spending 50, 60, uh, K a month and averaging a three to $3 row or something there. So we're kind of making up some, some hypotheticals here. Yeah. I would say that, no, that's, this is, this is kind of funny. It's like the exact scenario I think I've built in my head for this, but it's, so for awareness, which I would consider if we're looking at top of the funnel to be lifestyle audiences. So let's say we're working with a supplement brand. This would be a lifestyle audience for fitness enthusiasts or mm-hmm. anything in that realm. I'd say zero to one. Um, it's really upper yeah. funnel. <clears throat> Often these are the types of things that we'll run like connected or streaming TV for, which they have attribution issues on their own. But in terms of attributed sales, zero to one. Um, you're gonna You can yeah. drive some sales here, here for sure but I wouldn't expect more than a dollar back for every dollar you spend, especially seeing as people will naturally move into other funnels along this stage as they see an ad, they browse a category, they're in market now for this category. They'll see a different ad that we're likely bidding up for that'll be in a better placement. So I'd say zero to one there. Mid funnel, which is typically what I'll run is similar product views, um, various types of contextual targeting in market could either be considered awareness or consideration, depending on how you look at it. I would say probably two to three for that. I'd say I'd expect $2 back for every dollar spent, but nothing crazy. I mean, some brands do better in mid funnel than bottom funnel for some reason, but I'd expect two to three. And then if you're running both of those and you're running retargeting, anything retargeting, I'd say four to five plus. Yeah. And um, I guess some another question on that, do you spend pretty evenly across those funnels typically? You know, do you do like 33, 33, 33 or, or uh, do you find your, I mean, I guess you're probably just following the traffic, following the performance. Like as long as that bottom of the funnel can keep spending, you're just going to keep piling and piling in there. Um, well, one thing that's really important to, to look at is, yeah, it's new to brand percentage is really important mm-hmm. for some brands. I mean, at the end of the day, I follow what any given brand is looking for. Right. Like if they're looking for pure efficiency, exactly. I'll put as much into the bottom funnel as possible until we start to see performance dip a bit. Like in that scenario, let's say they had $10,000, I'd go maybe 6,000 bottom funnel, 5,000 bottom funnel, then three and two or two and one. So that's what I would do in that scenario. But one big KPI for a lot of brands, or at least this is a KPI that I encourage them to have is percent of purchases new to brand. Because if you're looking at, it depends on the category. For some, it's completely irrelevant. But if we're talking about the CPG space and the supplement space, you can 
get a lot out of facilitating repurchase, retargeting, and brand cross-selling. Like those are huge, yep. very easy wins. And you can drive a lot of purchases that might not have happened anyways, but you always do have to question the incrementality of sales when you're doing that. Like how many mm-hmm. of these people were coming back anyways, and now the sales are right. being attributed to an ad, or are we going to see a lift? So yeah. looking at whatever percentage of your overall purchases came new to brand is an important KPI. Like I would take mm-hmm. a four ROAS with half of them new to brand than I would a six ROAS with like, you know, 10 or 20% new to brand, just because yeah. the lifetime value of introducing a customer to the brand is going to be that much higher. But the budget distribution to summarize it is really just based on what the client is ultimately looking to get out of the platform. Yeah. And, and what do you think about, you know, I, here's, here's a genuine question because, because I have my own opinion that I'll maybe mention later, but the pay per click versus the pay per impression model, they're going to attribute sales to your clicks versus attribute sales to impressions. Right. So how I, that, that obviously is, is going to be a little bit or not a little bit, but like a very different kind of attribution yeah. So how do you kind of like reconcile that? Like, is that something that you consider when comparing performance between DSP and search and how those attributions work? You have to, you have to look at it with a lot more scrutiny at the end of the day. And within that, depending on the stage of the funnel, you have to look at it more closely. So for one, I think that if you're looking at awareness and consideration um, types of campaigns, you can say probably that those sales are likely incremental. I think that clicks are obviously a lot more solid. I mean, there's always going to be the question of like cannibalizing from organic, but you still view overall a sale from a click as being more concrete than you do an impression. I think that Mm -hmm. the other thing is looking at metrics like clicks and cost per clicks, even when you're looking at models that are based around impressions is going to be important. Um, We look at cost per detail page view, but it is important to look at are people actually clicking on these ads and what are we being charged per click? Because you're charged on the CPM model, but you can see what that equates to in a CPC model as well. So that's something important to look at. And then I would just say that the lower you go down the funnel in terms of targeting, the more you should take any given sale with a grain of salt. Like at Thrasio, we used to discount based on funnel stage, we would discount our overall sales. Um, at a certain point, we basically were discount anything that was retargeting um, and especially not new to brand, we would discount by as much as 50%. And then as we would go up the funnel stages, we would discount it less to the point where any sales generated by an awareness play, we could with relative certainly say that that sale was driven by the ad. But it, I mean, it's, there's always going to be those questions, right? I mean, I, cause with, with PPC, you can potentially say that there are sales that may have come from an impression on a PPC ad, even without a click. It's possible. Right. There's also the concept of for branded search, which everyone knows it's something that you ultimately have to roll out as a defensive measure. How many of those people were going to click on an organic listing had they not clicked on your ad and driven a sale? Right. So it's, it's the attribution question is always going to be a fun one. But there's no real definitive answer to it. That's why I usually just recommend that people zoom out a little bit. For one, these platforms do, or these, I guess, these marketing methods do influence each other. Like we know the PPC influences SEO. DSP can influence PPC, can influence SEO. So it's important to look at your holistic data when you're evaluating a platform versus just taking exactly what the platform's telling you. Because 
for every advertising platform, they love claiming sales. Yeah. When you're analyzing these correlations between DSP and PPC and vice versa and all that, how it ties with organic, specifically to DSP and PPC correlation, what are some of the metrics that you're using to kind of correlate those two? And and how, what are some of the methods you're using to kind of, you know, correlate those data points and, and see how one influences the other for a brand? Yeah, for one, AMC has a pretty good tool for this. I don't use AMC a ton, honestly, but they have a, a pretty, it's, there's a pretty interesting tool that essentially shows the correlation between DSP, PPC, and overall sales um, and conversion rate, like depending on what is your conversion rate when you're running one platform versus the other platform versus running them together. So that's always interesting. The other thing is running DSP versus not running DSP. How is your organic rank impacted? How are your conversion rates looking? Um, and then how, how is your branded search um, actually impacted? Because at the end of the day, if you're served a DSP ad and you were attributing based on impressions, there are a couple of things that could have happened. Either you were going to buy anyways and the DSP ad didn't influence your decision. You saw the DSP ad, you looked up the brand and you purchased it or you click the DSP ad and you purchase it. So looking at overall branded search, I think is a really important method just for general marketing and how it's impacted, especially if you're running things like streaming and connected TV through the DSP where you're not gonna see really any attributed sales, um, that, that can always be a good way to measure performance. Yeah, that's good. What would you say are the, uh, the top three KPIs that you're looking at when trying to measure performance of either a campaign or a target, a specific targeting tactic, or even just a creative, you know, I'm sure you do a lot of uh, analysis on like the actual creative performance. Cause that's a big part of what the performance is, but yeah, what would you say those three kind of top KPIs are? Yeah, I would say sales slash return on ad spend is the obvious one. And I'll group those together. Uh, the other one is I look at cost per detail page view a lot mm. um, or cost per click. They're usually, they kind of, move in the same direction in general. But I don't really look, I mean, I, I take CPM into consideration, but I take it with a grain of salt because if I'm spending, you know, $20 per CPM and only 50 cents per detail page view, even though I'm sending expensive impressions, at least I'm they're going to the right people and they're going to people who are actually going to the detail pages versus mm-hmm. if my CPM is five bucks, but my cost per detail page view is $2, then these impressions are either going under the radar or they're going to the wrong people. So I look at cost per detail page view over CPM. I look at sales and then um, percent of purchases new to brand. I think that, again, that's not applicable to everybody. Like if you have a product that somebody, you only have one product and someone's going to buy it once, then we're not going to look at it. But for those brands that sell a repurchasable product or have a broad product line, I think that's really important. Um, I'd say those are the main ones. I mean, there are a million different metrics you can look at in there, but to yeah. keep it simple, what about click I really through think rate? that's important. No. Really? Um, I don't care about click-through rate. I, If anything, I'd look at cost per click because metrics like yeah. click-through rate don't take ad spend efficiency into consideration. And they're always right. such tiny numbers. Like yeah. your click-through rate is always going to be some very, it's going to be a small decimal of a percentage. That's just how it's going to be. Yeah, like what what can people expect? Like what do you what's benchmark that you're typically seeing? I don't even know. I I just think that like click through rate to me 
if I can look at cost per click instead of click through rate, that just means a lot more just because you can have a really low click through rate, but you're also bidding really efficiently. So your cost per click is really low and you're ultimately getting more traffic, even if a lower percentage of people that see your ad are clicking on it. So met, just metrics like click through rate don't, they don't take the whole picture into consideration because if you have a click through rate, that's twice as high, but your CPM is three times as high, then you're not sending efficient traffic to your pages. So that's why I look at cost per detail page view and cost per click, just because really what we care about is how many people are we sending to our pages within our target audience and for how much. Because if we're, yeah. we can have a high click through rate with a crazy high CPM and we're still not running the ads efficiently. Yeah. That might also be one other thing. It's a quick good clarifier for people just to kind of understand before they dive into this platform is what are some ranges, I guess, around, you know, CPMs and CPCs that people can expect to get on the platform. Obviously that's going to waver hugely depending on the audiences, the niche, yeah. the competition, everything, and, and just how much you're bidding too. But, you know, roughly speaking, give us some ranges. Yeah, I would say, I mean, they used to be like, it's crazy to think that it's just been, you know, three and a half years since I've started running this and just the CPMs and what we were able to bid has changed such a drastic amount. Like we used to bid like 95 cents and our ads, we could spend pretty much whatever we wanted. And now it's nowhere near the case, but I would say 95 cents CPM. That's crazy. Uh, well, the CPM was probably closer to $2, but oh, we were oh, bidding oh. like 95 cents and you know, the max bid would then be a dollar. Uh, that's crazy. Dollar 90. Anyways, that's what we bid. It was pretty funny, but one other thing that we didn't take as much into consideration there is viewability because you can get served invisible ads all day, which essentially just means you didn't scroll down to the portion that the ad was actually served in. So it loaded near the bottom of the page or it rendered, but you yeah. didn't see it. So if you don't set a viewability minimum, you bid really low, it might look like your ads are doing great, potentially, especially because of the view through attribution. I know. But there's a good yep. chance that you're just running really efficiently. People aren't seeing your ads. So if you're feeling like you're bidding really low and your ads are doing really well and you don't understand why you're not seeing sales, I'd look at viewability. We always said at least a 40% viewability minimum. But anyways, with that viewability minimum, I'd say- We do, we do 80% because that's as high as it can go. And yeah, we're just, yeah. But it can be that's, tough that's certainly the, yeah, I was just gonna say that's, the, that's like the biggest probably- hack or quick tip to immediately improve performance for anybody running DSPs. Yeah. Up the viewability. Yeah. Like I'd say most of our clients, we start with 50 and then we adjust from there depending on what we're seeing, but setting something in general is pretty important. I'd say that because even when we set it at 50, most of the time I see 70 to 80% as an actual metric within the platform. But yeah. it's pretty easy if you don't set a viewability minimum and don't set your bids very high. I mean, you can get it to spend, but they're, they're not going to really be seen. So I would say for awareness, usually somewhere below $5 CPMs. Um, we've run, and I mean, also it's on versus off Amazon makes a big difference. On and Amazon's obviously significantly more expensive than anything you're going to do off. But then I'd say mid funnel, probably somewhere from five to 10 typically. And then for anything that's close to the bottom funnel, you're usually looking at 10 to $20 CPMs. I'd say on average nowadays, our clients are looking at like eight to $12 CPMs in aggregate. 
but we definitely have clients that do really well that are getting $20 CPMs, but it just depends on, obviously it just depends on your targeting strategy. Yeah. Which that's really not bad. I mean, all things considered, like the, the quality of audience targeting that you can get, even just like the premium placements being on a shopping platform, when you compare yeah. it to like Google display and Facebook display, it's, it's pretty good. And it's not a bad thing. I mean, again, this is why I like to look at cost per detail page view, because even if your impressions are expensive, but you're getting larger ad size placements and near the top and your cost per detail page view isn't that much, then that's totally worth it versus you get a low CPM. You might have one of the smaller sized ads and it might be near the bottom. You never know. But sometimes we'll turn off a lot of the smaller sized ads within our responsive e-commerce creative. So they're not eligible just to make sure that at least when we are seeing these impressions, we know that they're big and they're on the screen. So that's really what's important. I mean, CPMs matter and you obviously don't want to be paying a ton per a thousand impressions, but it's not like, again, that's why I didn't list it as one of like the main KPIs I really look at, but we run, I mean, especially for off Amazon stuff, like we have a client that only does off Amazon because they're, they're non-endemic and their targeting is really broad, but the CPMs are like a dollar and 50 cents and the CPCs are a little lower than that, which is pretty crazy. But again, it's really broad and it's off Amazon. So when you're running a retargeting campaign on Amazon, you kind of have to expect to pay close to $20 CPMs. Yeah, definitely. Um, when it comes to on Amazon versus off Amazon placements, what are some of the biggest distinctions and uh, performance differences that you're seeing um, with those two different placements? Yeah, uh, way lower CPMs off Amazon, but lower return on ad spend also. I mean, you have to think about it as, the potential ad space off Amazon is just a lot bigger. You're ultimately looking at the same people, the same audiences, but the potential places that an ad could only land, you just have a lot more options. And ultimately, well, you do compete obviously with other um, DSPs as well, but ultimately we'll just say less competition and more ad space. But that being said, the part of the reason it's so valuable to show up on Amazon is that people are there to shop and nothing else, right? Like if you're reading an article or you're playing a game on an app on your phone, you might not always be in the mood to click a link to go buy something on Amazon right in that moment. So you're hitting people who have looked at your product or a similar product or whatever it is in recent days when they're looking to buy something. So that's a good point. I mean, when you look at the CPM price, hitting those people in that state of mind is pretty invaluable. So it's, it's not as bad as it seems. Yep. True. Absolutely. Yep. Well, Sam, uh, why don't you give everyone as we start to kind of wrap up this episode, why don't you give everyone kind of like last piece of advice or, or, you know, parting, parting wisdom if, if they are either currently on DSP or, or considering using DSP and then uh, also let people know where they can find you to get in touch if they have more questions and, and want to connect. Yeah, for sure. I, I would say the, the biggest thing I like to say is just don't be afraid to get creative with the DSP because there's so many ways that you can do it. Like it's endless, right? Like you have the entire catalog of Amazon ASINs at your disposal to make audiences in whatever way you want. So don't just think about somebody that's in market in my category or who's viewed my product or whatever it is. It's like, how else can you identify your target demographic? What else do they buy? What else do they look at? 
you know your target audience. So just get creative with it. Some of the best ways that we've seen success is just by targeting complementary products. Um, just test as much as possible. Cut your losses quickly, I would say. Um, obviously, there's a data collection phase, but what we really do is we, we try a bunch of things. We launch something new every couple of weeks and we cut our losses and we double down on our winners and we keep moving. So that's, in my eyes, the best way to do it. Another thing is don't be afraid to start small. Um, always grow with success instead of throwing a bunch of money at it and shrinking with failure. The platform's not for everyone. It might not be for you. But if you hit those general metrics we talked about earlier, then it's almost always worth the test. As far as I'm concerned, LinkedIn is always super easy. Sam Lee on LinkedIn, which I am very well sure that I'm not the only Sam Lee on LinkedIn. But yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can't even we'll, find we'll, me on uh, Google. <laughs> we'll we'll be sure insane. to uh, include a link to your uh, profile, your LinkedIn profile in our show notes and our YouTube description so everyone can yeah, get in touch. For sure. And then we're deliveredmedia.com, just all things Amazon. But uh, yeah, I always love talking DSP and the broader Amazon space. It's pretty much all I talk about all day, every day, like you guys. So it hasn't gotten old yet, which is great. Awesome. Well, Sam, <laughs> we're, we're, we're probably going to have to have you on another time because as we were going, um, Andrew and I were making some notes here. We've got like 50 more questions, I think, that we'd love to <laughs> yeah. pick your brain on. No doubt. Uh, it's, all, it's a pretty expansive platform, right? You can I mean, keep going. Just all like, the you capabilities, can, yeah. You can do a lot of rabbit holes. I almost always do. Yeah, I mean, I think we were supposed to talk more specifically about the streaming TV side of things when we were uh, setting up this episode, but probably yeah. better to talk more about just Next DSP time. in general first since we, yeah. have, we haven't talked on it yet. So sure. yeah, streaming TV, connected TV. If you're interested, Sam, we'll have you back and uh, no it'd be a good conversation. For sure. All right, well, thanks everyone for listening. Again, that's Sam Lee from Delivered Media. His uh, contact information will be in the notes. And tell us guys what you think about this. Don't forget to like, subscribe, leave us those reviews on Apple and Spotify. We need more reviews there. And we'll talk to you guys next time. See ya. Thanks guys.